You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Hey, Brack, and I like your outfit. Hey, thanks, man. You gotta, you gotta dress for the job you want. What job is that that you you would like in that outfit? Uh, right now, endurance cyclist. I'm looking at a very pale man. Yeah, I would make excuses for that about lighting or whatnot, but I'm, I am pale. <laughs> I'm, I'm one as well. So, but I'm looking at a very pale man with uh, bicycling bibs on that have a white mesh strap, and I can only see you from about the nipples up. And if I didn't know better, you could be. In a lot of different situations, he's flexing for me. No, I'm just posing. That's not a flex. Oh. Imagine if you were flexing, how jacked you would look. Probably about the same. <laughs> so you were biking today. I assume that means the uh, the calf is still the calf, Bracken. The calf is improved, but still not usable. Still, still can't walk normally. Still struggling on stairs. If there was a, a liger that jumped out of the bush to eat you, would you be able to run down the street to get away? I don't think I could fake it and run away. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just not great. <laughs> now, dude, those lower leg soft tissue issues are like my least favorite because it takes very little to re-piss them off or re-aggravate them. And you have to be so dang cautious, like once it happens. So you're experiencing that, huh? Yeah. And it's, it, a calf's one of those areas that's tough to, to, change your motion and still use you know like a hamstring you can shorten your stride Mm -hmm. or an ankle you can tape it up a calf is like the moment you move your ankle joint and start towing off or doing anything your calf's engaged so i I just really can't do much but yeah i've been been living on the bike if i the first week first five six days i couldn't tow down at all Mm. there was no dorsiflexion that could happen or regular flexion but now i can go through almost like half of a normal cycle cadence. I just, re- I can't crank. Mm. So it's just all aerobic cycling, which is why I've got my fancy bibs on today because this is day five in a row of biking and my butt's getting a little tender. So <laughs> so biking bibs have padding in the butt. So it kind of looks like you're wearing a little bit of a diaper for those of you who don't bike. So is your butt so sore that even sitting on the chair to talk to me hurts? So that's why you're wearing the shorts? Uh, well, I was cramped for time as always. So I got off the trainer and came right upstairs, but also, yeah, I have a, I have a bar stool that I sit on in here, which I really like, mm-hmm. but hard surface on sit bones that are a bit raw as the British would say. Yeah. The Gucci area takes a beating. If yeah. you haven't been so I much. might, I might just be using my chamois shorts for, for, for podcasting for that time being. I would say that, uh, I'm going to say 50% of the podcasts that we do you appear with still like sweat on your brow. Yeah. You must pre-podcast workout most of the time. I work from home. I dictate my own schedule. And yet I always find myself <laughs> under the gun time-wise. <laughs> That's just how it works. You're a family man, Bracken. We'll blame it on that. You got stuff going on. How about you? How's that ankle? It's no better. No worse. Something interesting about, I don't know. I'm sure a lot of you listening have rolled ankles before. For me, it's new. I've never done it in my entire life causing real damage. So this is a first. It's one of the few injuries I haven't had before. Um, What I noticed with it, and maybe others can speak to this, is like it got better. It significantly improved in the first week. And now it's just like staying put. It's not going anywhere. It's at like 70% and it's just stuck. It's it's like still 25% swollen and it's not getting any better. It's just sitting there, which I can't. And I haven't run in. I actually wanted to get ahead of it. So I haven't run since Thursday. Um, I've taken three full days off. I guess when you hear this, I'll have run once or twice, but, um, it's just, it's not doing anything. No running isn't helping either. It's just like one of those things. It's gotta be a blood flow issue. Are you icing and and mobilizing it and doing band work? No, I'm not doing anything. Bands will make you dance, Kirk. That's not a saying, Bracken. That is absolutely a saying. Bands will make you dance? Yeah. That doesn't even have a ring to it. What? Oh my, Kirk. Kirk, Kirk, Kirk. Yep. I mean, it's Juicy J. 
All right. Well, we're just waiting here, folks. Yeah, I'm waiting for anything. I, I just <laughs> I was going to send you the song, Juicy J, Bands Make Her Dance. All right. <laughs> song, but it carries over to what we're talking about. If you get your band work going, it'll help get your dance and feedback in order. All right. Maybe we'll chat after this podcast about specifics. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, you're not improved. No, no, I'm not improved. Um, but that's okay. Um, I can run. I can run on flat terrain without any pain. So whatever. Like, and that's funny because it's gonna it's gonna poorly segue into our topic today. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, a worst case scenario, I stick to the roads and the clean running and whatever. Like, at least I can move my body, and at least I can run Bracken. You know, I'm yeah. lucky that way. You are. So you are what? Two weeks away from your next race? Yeah, I think I'm going to go to Las Vegas. Uh, two and a half weeks. Yep. Sounds like I'm hearing rumors. What are you hearing? VJ. Yeah, I have VJ's going. It sounds like. Yep. Woods. Is Woods going to Vegas? I don't know. Just rumors. Little birdies chirping. I hope so. I hope it's a race because that's what I want. I want the sting. Of Leon. I hope Leon's there too. Godet. Maybe. Maybe Batris will make the trip he has before. Whew. I hope we have a race. That's that's a that's a race there. You know what? Um, and it sounds like the what is it the Maybe a couple weekends later in Charlotte, it's a that's going to be a field as well. Like I think, you yeah. know, like what's going on in Charlotte? Then? Well, I think you have Woods, you got Gawiski, you have mm-hmm. um, Godet, and um, I think yeah, Godet is going down. You have Riker's going to go there. Um, so I mean, that's a start. I'm sure there's plenty others. I'm not thinking of. That is a start. Yeah. Should be some racing happening. Where does Logan live? Uh, Logan is in Cleveland. Suddenly, we have to start talking about him at races. Yeah, I don't know what his plans are, but there'll be some racing. It's good. I would, I would rather go at this point right now. I'd rather go and have a race than yeah. than go and win by minutes because nobody shows up. That's not going to do me any good at this point to go do a threshold workout by myself. There's a stage in your life where wins matter over everything. You want the notoriety, you want the money, you want the ego. And then there's a stage in your life where you realize that an easy win doesn't teach you anything. You, you learn nothing from it. And you want to just go out there and be pushed. I agree. You know, I'm going to show you something, Brack, and the viewers won't be able to see this. But where I record, next to me, I have a wall full of, like, my plaques and my medals. It's kind of in my office here. Yeah. In all of my years, this is going to sound, if you didn't know anything about me and you knew that I've raced for five years, um, I have one, two, three, four. I only have seven Spartan podiums in, I guess, five full years because winning's never been important. I did the U.S. National Series when I was weighing over my head in 2017. I've only picked, you know, the local Midwest races for years. We have hardly any. So I went to Chicago and Minnesota. So like... Winning doesn't, I mean, winning matters, but I'm not, I don't care like picking races to go win. I have seven podiums in five years. That's by all traditional standards, somebody who's competing in the U.S. National Series, that is terrible. It's crazy, huh? You saw that that wall. It wasn't very impressive. You know what my memorabilia wall looks like? What? It's a bin. I have it in the basement by my workout stuff, and there's not one from a win or a podium. They're all from my deep. Uh, I have a, a DQ on my record. I have four DNFs, lifetime, and I have one. I have stuff saved from any uh, race I failed an obstacle or made a stupid tactical move or did something mentally weak. So I have my my box of shame that I that I look at for my extra little motivation. And that works for you? Yeah, I keep my uh, my wristband or. Um, from the races that you keep your timing chip that or or something. I keep something from my bad race. Going back to high school, I had uh, that race where I um, where my body seized up and I was medevaced <laughs> to the hospital. That's the first uh, race bib I I kept and and that and that started it. But like for something like that, I guess I want to. That's an interesting take into your psyche a little bit, to be honest. Like what, yeah. what the bad stuff, most people want to just shove that in a corner. Let's say being Betty Vac, like you save something from that race to serve as fuel for like what, like how, how do you turn that into fuel? Because I get so embarrassed when I don't succeed. And, and I, I want to remember that feeling of how embarrassed I felt on a stretcher, helpless, like no guy or girl, but especially a guy, no guy wants to be helpless. Like if someone wanted to come up in that moment, they could have taken anything they wanted from me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just totally exposed and helpless. And 
Um, same thing when I, I rolled an ankle prior to that state um, and I missed qualifying for state by one spot, one tenth. I kept that bit because I was just, I was exposed. I was embarrassed. I wasn't prepared. I, those kind of things mm. that winning reminds you of the good things and you remember what went right. But those don't save you when things go wrong. Having memories to look back on of what went wrong and knowing that you got through it, I feel like those are the things that make you a tougher racer. Like you said, winning by five minutes a, a threshold run doesn't prepare you for your next national series race. But going out and getting dropped, that's the memory to remember. Last year, I went to Arizona in a week before Jacksonville, and I went and I ran at 85%, and I won by two or three or four minutes. I don't remember. And then I went to Jacksonville a week later, and it was like I might as well not have even gone to Arizona the week before because I learned nothing and wasn't. And so I think, I think chasing wins, I want to win. Absolutely. It's why I do this. But I think chasing wins is very overrated as in cherry picking. I don't, I can't think of a race I've done unless it's been conveniently like in my backyard. Um, I think there's a lot of, I think there's more merit to that. And I understand that you have to, it's, it depends on what stage of your career you're at. I saved every podium trophy I ever got. And then when we moved, I got rid of them all. I think like 40 or 50 Spartan podium blocks I just got rid of because looking at that wall that we had going in our shoe area, was reassuring. I didn't want to be reassured because I was, that was something that started in 2011. Yeah. Like my accomplishment in 2011 or 2015 or 2018 does not, is not indicative of the athlete I am right now if I step to a race course. So looking at that is almost a false sense of I've accomplished something. I'll be fine. And I don't want that. I want to step in thinking I've accomplished nothing. I have to go earn it today. That's how you stay hungry, right? Yeah. I think, I think, and again, it's a stage of career thing, but when you get comfortable is when you get knocked off 40 or 50 podium blocks i just showed you my wall with seven i have seven <laughs> seven it's an era thing <laughs> yeah if you would have started racing when i started racing any single guy in the top 15 and last weekend in jacksonville if they would have started when i started would have got you know probably 20 or 30 easy podiums out of the way mm -hmm. i mean i think i went five straight years or something four straight years like 13 straight midwest races without being challenged because there was no one that lived in the midwest that was fast yeah. You know, do those really count? I don't know if I've done more than, and we got to get to our topic, but I don't know if I've done more than seven or eight races in a year, which means the U.S. National Series and then the North American Champs and then World Champs and maybe one random race in there when it comes to Minnesota. So people don't race as much as they used to. No. They got to show up. And part of it is races are much more destructive than they used to be. You know, Amelia, when she lived in Chicago, we'd see each other at four or five races a year just in the Midwest. We'd hit Chicago, we'd hit Ohio, we'd hit Indiana. Um, you know, those sometimes there were two in a season and they were they were like a workout because you go out there, you'd win by six or seven minutes and you just cruise the last two miles. It wasn't damaging. Now you go to a race and you're fighting for 10th place. Yeah. So it, it's the era matters. That's fair. Yeah. Should, that was the dark age of the sport. Yeah, you were. So today's topic, I said I was going to make a poor segue um, because I may have to be stuck on like flat, clean running with the ankle and that's okay. But what are we really talking today? We're talking broken running, not compromised running necessarily. And we're going to have to distinguish the two a little bit today, but broken running. Uh, why don't you go ahead? Well, we, we talked after Jacksonville that we right first thing we do with any athlete who races we tell them afterwards write down before it fades everything about your race what went right what went wrong things you felt during the race like man i'm glad i prepared for this and things you felt oh i was not prepared enough for this or this still got me and the people who didn't do well there we're we're not ready for broken running now broken running to us means anything that breaks your rhythm now compromised running is a form of broken running, but it's it's down the family tree. It's a branch of it. Uh, but broken running in general is, think of running on a road in a marathon. You probably are gonna use the same stride for 26.2 miles. So anything that's not that is a form of broken running. Anything that breaks your rhythm, your cadence, your form, your speed, anything, that's broken running. Well, we talked about it a little bit in our recap, but it seems like now granted VJ Jones won and he's a quick runner and his metrics are good. Right. Um, but every single freaking year Bracken, 
And we, we're, it's like we should know better at this point. Like, oh, the fast guys are going to be up front and speed kills and it's flat and fast Jacksonville. Dur, 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 dur. And then it's like nothing about it is fast. Nothing about it is smooth and nothing about it is rhythm running. And once again this year, it was 50, at least 50% broken running, meaning like you weren't using your typical stride. You weren't using your typical cadence. Your biomechanics were completely thrown off. And what did we see? We saw that it negated some people's speed. And I would say myself included in some capacity. Um, but like it is Spartan racing, right? It's not road racing. It's not trail racing. And in a venue like Jacksonville, it was all broken running. Obstacles aside, if there were no obstacles, it still was broken running. And you have to, and 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 it brought to light how important it is to like figure out a way to work on those that skill, that fitness. And it and it's different. Let's say you're going to like a an Arizona or a, a Texas where you know it's hard packed ground and maybe it is a little more sure footing. It may not be as applicable, but there's half of the courses out there. All the courses out east, the Midwest courses are always gross, always nasty. And so it just brought to light like this. We need to talk about this. Yeah. And it applies other places too. It's not just OCR. Trail racing, you break your stride a lot. Even cross country, you break it more. Indoor track is more broken than outdoor track. You know, there are, there are levels to all of it. And so my personal take on this is that at first, broken running really breaks up your stride because you're reduced, like you said, to not using your normal stride. But you are able to work that skill and work on whatever that other stride is until that is also a normal stride for you to the point where you finally look like a Josiah, where you enter the slop and you go to your slop stride and it's an efficient, powerful stride and you come out and you go back to your road stride and it's almost not broken anymore. Mm -hmm. It gets to the point where broken running becomes rhythm running if you've put the time in to develop your broken running stride. Well, I also think I agree with that. Very much. And watching him run through the water was a beautiful thing. That that gentleman, yeah. um, I would say slightly unassuming looking. And then on the course, just like a monster. I'm very, I want to get him on the podcast. You sent him yeah. a message, didn't you, Bracken? Yes, sir. Good. Um, but but the other thing that you have to think about, like if, if you're not doing broken running and training, and we're going to get to that, I, I think it's pretty obvious where we're going to go with this. And that's going to be like, you need to do some broken running and we need, you need to learn how to train it. So you're ready for racing. But um was also like if it's if you're not practiced in that sense and then it revs your engine just a little hotter than non-broken running let's say on clean terrain it does become an engine thing too so like training your body and your engine to take those hits and feel it and understand it and embrace it and as i say sink your teeth into it is very different than just mitigating damage right so yes becoming efficient in those situations whether it's the moguls at the end of jacksonville or it's the swampy water but it, it's also an engine and a system hit too, because I very much felt that. And that also is yes. something that needs to be addressed. It 100% is, and it's 100% trainable. So we, a long time ago, talked about how to increase your running ability. And one of the things that I said then, I'm going to say again now, which is you can only move your body as fast as you can get balanced. You cannot turn your feet over with power faster than your feet can get balanced on the ground. And that is the number, or not maybe not the number one, but that's the first chain of events. That's the first step that people have to address when they start running slop or technical terrain or broken is that when your foot hits a new surface, it has to still get balanced in order to drive off the ground. Mm -hmm. Now you can do what a lot of people do when they hit slop is you see them lean back a little bit, start pushing their legs out a little bit more to the front, their arms come up for balance and it's all a balance issue. Because if they land with their normal stride, they feel like their feet are going to go out from underneath them. But the strong slap runners keep their cadence up in that. And so that's the first thing is this stems from gym work and it stems from practice. So you can build it up from the ground up with getting your balance better and working on single leg powerful movements. I think that that's the first place people can start if they're not ready or don't have access to running slop. You have to be powerful with every part of your leg in a vacuum rather than re requiring the other one to keep you balanced. Does that make sense? It does make sense. The biggest thing in Jacksonville, I think that caused the most um, issues for any rhythm speedster. Um, yes, the mud and this, but when I say slop, it's like that 
that water that's deep enough that it has to change your knee drive and your stride to the point where what really happens is you end up just smoking your hip flexors, picking those feet up through resistive water and keeping the knees high. And then what happens is you get through that slot and you lose a little bit of your efficiency in your knee drive on the, the flatter clean train once you're through all that crap. And so then it not only are you slower in the crap, but then you're also more compromised once it's your time to shine on the fat, fast and flat stuff. So it's a little bit of a double-edged sword where like you can get a really big return on investment if it's trained right. And you also kind of get like slapped twice if you're not ready for it, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. When you, when you normally drive forward, you don't have resistance against your leg coming up. Other than air. Other than, yeah. other than gravity and air. Mm-hmm. However, when you're pulling up out of slop or if you've slipped, you have to stop your momentum almost and pull it up and sometimes resist mud or water or sand or whatever it is you're running through. And that requires extra power. And that's why things like weighted lunges or split squats, single leg squats, Mm -hmm. where it requires you to drive upwards with force directly carries over to broken running because you are now more powerful. Your ceiling of force production is higher on a single leg driving up. And now the mud will just take less out of you to do it. Mm-hmm. So you're right. You, you, you're rewarded the further you go into it because you don't keep taking as big of a hit every time you do it. Yeah. Or you're punished or you're punished if you haven't done it and it adds up quick. I really think of, and I know I brought him up and I know Mark, you listen, Mark Godet, but I really think of a guy like Mark Godet in this situation. And I don't know Mark's training um, necessarily, like what kind of train he's on. I know he trains hard, very cerebrally. Like I think Mark did pretty much everything right. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I just think of like a, like a guy like him who, who is so fast and, and I saw him from behind. I saw him slowly kind of come back towards me as the race had gone on. And it was what I had outlined. And, and I felt like I was doing the same thing, but just at a slower rate than he was as far as decelerating, we'll call it. Mm-hmm. And it just made me think like as fast as people are, as fit as people are, like there's so much more to still like work on. And I know Mark's probably going back to the drawing board on like that sloppy terrain front and we are too, but I just think it's so relevant. It's so relevant. My first ever Spartan race was in Chicago in 2016. And it was this, it was kind of reminiscent of 2018 Chicago where we had mud up to our knees constantly. And I remember I did a sharpening workout. I did 400 and 200s the week of that race and um, got into it. It was a Chicago sprint. Everybody was tired from running the day before. And I was going in there just as a newbie thinking I'd get people tired. And I remember like being what five minutes into that race and being like, my training has not helped me one bit for this race. And I slowly, slowly came back and back and slipped out of podium position. Um, and it was almost a really instant aha moment where it was like, okay, like running, yeah, running's important, but like I didn't run much of that race. I slogged. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, multiple reasons I'm telling you that this is just worth the discussion. Yeah. And Mark's the perfect example, because if you watch the recap, you see twice on film, he accelerates with some kind of crazy yes. explosion. He just accelerates the way that a really high level runner looks when they accelerate, where you think this pace doesn't challenge me. I'm going to attack this. And he put an instant 10 meter gap effortless on the field, effortless, but it was, it was strong looking. Mm-hmm. And then you watch people hit the water and Kempson and Josiah did that thing, mm-hmm. but he couldn't. And I don't know if it was, he chose not to, or if his running fitness didn't translate to being able to confidently and efficiently attack the slop. He could attack the, the, the tame terrain, but he had to absorb the slop where they could absorb the ter- tame terrain and then they could attack the slop. And there was bigger payoff to be had there mm-hmm. because on tame terrain, the difference between 510 pace and five flat or five flat and 450 is 10 seconds per mile. On slop terrain, that same level of attack, if your fitness translates, can be 10 seconds in 100 meters. No, it could be, yeah, it could be 30 seconds a mile. Yeah. And so it's interesting that you see you have X amount of fitness, but how much of that can you access in a really bad terrain? And you know Mark is going to address that, but I think we're finally getting to the point of how do you address that? A, you address it with strength training, but B... He doesn't have to go back to the drawing board on his workouts. He might just have to go back to the drawing board on the location of his workouts. 
Yes. You, yeah, you, you kind of walked me right into what I wanted to say next. I, I do want to just touch on that strength piece just a little bit. Um, okay. the, the single leg movements, um, very, very important. It seems like the driving, like the muscle, the musculature that drives the knee forward, for example, in that stuff, it's like, why are my quads burning up so quick? Anything sort of facing the sky, I call it your quads, your hip flexors in particular, like that knee to hip on the front side of your body. Yes. We, driving force comes from your hamstrings and glutes. I'm not denying that, but like those things go on you. And so finding ways to really smash that. We always talk about the rear chain, but let's talk about like the top end of your, your leg, the front chain, we will call it of, of your leg. Finding ways to like strengthen that is super, super, super important. And even things like like banded knee drives, for example, which I do have a video on the internet, um, about strength training for runners from forever ago. And it's an exam, it's a, it's a movement. I do, um, things that just help you stay strong when knee drive is important. And anytime the train is not a road knee drive is important in run economy and efficiency. So, so working that, that is important. Like banded knee drives, I'm going back to even those, those machines, which I sometimes roll my eyes at at the gym, which are like the, the hip machines where it's got the roller on it and you drive the knee forward, you hold onto a bar in front of you. Like those things actually may pay off. And so um, adding some of those little tweaks in may, you may see a benefit. I'm glad you brought that up. That difference between the rear chain and the front sky facing muscles, the sky facing muscles. Yes. Because when we talk about running power, people think power into the ground, power transfer into the ground traditionally. And that's accurate. But in slop, and you and I talked about this off camera about compromised, like snowy workouts we were doing. And you had said something that was enlightening. I thought you said, sometimes it's more about how quickly you can pick your foot up rather than like, you don't drive it into the ground because it's going to slip. You touch the ground and drive it upwards forwards to get away from the ground. Mm -hmm. Usually the ground is our, our springboard. And now it's not, it's an enemy that you need to touch and get off and drive forward. And so you're lifting off the ground rather than driving into the ground. And that's an important distinction, I think. Lifting? Oh, for sure. Because there's very minimal effort required in perfect conditions to, to lift that knee. Um, completely different when there's any resistance. Even a heavy shoe full of water and mud, for example, can can make enough of a distance. Yeah. And, and it's almost bizarre to think about, but what's actually happening? When you're lifting your leg, you're not pushing, you're pulling, right? How often do we pull with the front side of our leg? Never, other than lifting our knee and our knee drive. So like finding a resistive exercise to pull your knee towards the sky in the run motion is really simulating shit running. And there's a lot of resistance from that water when your foot is underwater. Like, you know what it's like to like swim or do anything underwater. Like there's, it's way more costly as far as moving. So it just needs to be addressed. That's all. And the thing that Mark will do, because we know Mark, he's intelligent. He's, he has a tactical mind. That's why he's been in command of special forces operations. He has a tactical mind. He is going to realize my 5K treadmill work really built my engine and my interval work. And then my that really improved my speed and my, uh, my high rocks work really improved my compromised running and my ability to put out power. And now I get to take all that and translate it to the terrain I'm about to run. And what he will do, which is what we would recommend, is you do the exact same workouts you just change the location. And so you can do a 5K time trial or you can do it based off time. If he's running 15-15, you go outside, you do 15 minutes worth of sloppy time trialing. And if you're doing 400s or 600s or 800s and they're taking you 90 seconds or three minutes or 430, you do that same duration workout in the terrain that you would normally avoid touching. Uh, yes. And that's where we're going to, I think, pivot this conversation to mostly. I, I did think, you know what I thought about while we were out there afterwards and thinking about training and what would have paid off for this race? Cause I was doing a lot of cross training. I'm not, I'm running probably less than anybody. In, I, I am running less than anybody in the field. Right. I think a Ryan Kempson in the pool. Yeah. What is, what is Ryan Kempson doing in the pool with his legs and knee drive in the water? He's getting resistance on the upward motion of, of his biomechanics constantly. Even in aqua jogging cross training, if I had to go back and say, should I go on the assault bike today for cross training or should I go to the pool and aqua jog? Do you remember those injury days in college when you're aqua jogging and the resistance of the water with the knee drive? Thinking about those little things like actually may be the most applicable 
to situations like Jacksonville. And Aquajaga yeah. came right to mind and thinking, Kempson's in the water. No wonder he moved through that like a monster. Yeah, that's really interesting. Last year, when we went camping with Lisa's family for two and a half weeks, that's when I was trying to get back to running. And I was so frustrated because it hurt a lot to run. And I just, I couldn't. So I went to the pool and I was doing waist to chest deep running from the shallow end to the deep end of the the little campground pool. And I stopped each session because of my hip flexors. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. And I didn't make the connection to compromised to broken running until you talked about it just now. I didn't even make the connection. You made the connection. And yet I look back at what I did this off season and all my recovery work was in soft snow. And there was hip flexor drive every stride for that. Yeah. So it's interesting that he got his from the pool. I got mine from the snow. And maybe his was even more useful because the pool would require more drive than the snow would with less impact. Something I'm flirting with is we do our compromise run workouts. Let's say like OCR mile repeats or something. And it's traditional burpees, jump squats, push-ups, you know, tuck jumps, all that stuff, maybe some pull-ups, whatever it is. But like actually throwing in like a purposeful hip flexor fatiguing movement um, that's all knee drive focused. It'd be a little complicated with the setup, but, um, and then trying to just lift your knee efficiently through like the faster pacing following that compromise set would be just very interesting. So there might be some, some stuff. I think so. I, I added in walking speed lunges in my OCR intervals this block. And it, it wasn't ideal, but it started getting some of that. You have to drive your legs a little bit to do walking lunges. Mm. And I'd throw a sandbag on my back and speed walk with that. So I think there's more to that in there to, to, start, to start working on. Yeah, we'll have to explore that more. We'll have to go to the lab, experiment a little bit. <laughs> Maybe you'll see it on the running public training plan in, in a month. You never know. Maybe. So... One thing I did this block that I haven't done in a long time was I did all my out. I I paired my clean running with my nasty running. I did my clean running because you have to have some clean running, not have to, but for most people, you have to have some clean running in your schedule to work on your form and your cadence. I did that on my treadmill. So I could, I posted videos of it so I could watch myself in the mirror, really concentrate on cadence and hitting the pace I wanted to hit. But then immediately the next two quality days were outside in the slop, pairing that skill and creating my sloppy running stride and trying to balance the two out perfectly so that neither one was a was a break in the rhythm. It was just a transfer in the rhythm. And that's something that I will do moving forward because by the end of that eight and a half block, eight and a half week block of training, my stride felt a hundred percent different outdoors. And you and I had talked about that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that maybe people don't have to do two of their three quality work workouts outdoors in nasty stuff. But I do think it's time that anyone who struggles on that to actually seek out, like you said, you have your shin deep, um, like the side of a lake to run Mm -hmm. in, or people have sand to run in. And usually we don't because it's so tiring and inefficient. But what if we just decided to make it not tiring and inefficient? Think about this. Um, you ran both track and cross country in college, right? Yes. When it was cross country season and it was Tuesday and quality day, where did you go do that? On the course. Okay. And then where did you race on the weekend? (laughs) On the course. (laughs) All right. And then in track season, it was indoor track. And then you did all your quality work to prepare for the race. Where did you do your quality work? On the indoor track. And then where did you race? Indoor track. Okay. I'm walking you through that, obviously. And then... We have Spartan Jacksonville, which is a nasty swamp. And we don't all have access to that sort of terrain perfectly, right? But then we're going, and, and, and I'm part guilty. Then we're going, and where, where did I do my last speed workout? On the roads. Now, granted, mm-hmm. there's some finagling with not being fatigued going in and what, whatever. But um, how often are you seeking, like, duh, you're doing your qual- all your quality work on the treadmill, but you don't race on a treadmill, do you? You race on a Spartan race course, or you race on the trails. And it's just like so dumb. Of course, in cross country, we trained on the cross country course. Of course, in track, we trained on the track. And then us idiots, Spartan or trail athletes go and do like quality work on a perfectly groomed trail. And then we, and then we wonder why we, we didn't race our best. Like, it's crazy. Walk into a wall another time, why don't you? Well, and we, we look at every other section of a race. If you're a trail athlete, you look at, I, I'm going to become the greatest downhill runner I can so that every downhill I get to, I can attack. You might only have three downhills in a long race, 
or you might have 30. But every time you get to it, it's just money in the bank for you. Or an OCR athlete might say, I'm going to get the best grip and heavy carries of anyone's ever seen. And every carry I get to, I just put time on. How many people in the sport have decided every time we touch ankle to shin deep water, no one can touch me there? You know, have you ever heard someone talking about, I just put in a block of water running or sand running or mud running? You don't hear that as much, but it's out there. So for example, the place I do my intervals at, at this park, there is a stream that runs alongside my trail. And I was looking at it this block thinking, all right, I'm intentionally running in the snow now. I think I might just have to intentionally do half of my intervals in that stream once we get to summer. I've never used it before. The only thing I've ever used that for is during my sims to go in, enter the water, get myself soaked, and then come back out. But I never ran through it because it's so slow. And then we get to water in the race and you're running through slow and you think, man, it'd be really nice to be the one person who's really fast through here and efficient and can come out and attack rather than come out and be dead. Mm -hmm. Why Why does it take us so long to make the connections that every part of our race should be trained? I agree. That's why we're talking it out, right? It's like, yes. you know, even, even this, we're like, oh, we're so tough. We do this snow running and we like humble brag about our cold run. Yeah. So like we, you know, we kind of throw it out there looking to be like earning some sort of points, right? Like look at how badass we are. But if I think about it, right? I'm out there doing a Hobie tempo or something. I did compromise work on the snowmobile trails. That's what I run on. Well, yeah, there's snowmobile trails, but they have been packed down by snowmobiles. And so my push off is like running in shallow sand, let's say. So it's not efficient. Don't get me wrong, but it is not even close to simulating Jacksonville. And if I had to go back and do it again, if we talk lessons learned and I've let this sink in, I'd be running through the snow, three feet left of the snowmobile trails where the snowmobiles haven't gone yet. And that was yeah. the mistake. And I'm not saying I didn't, I feel like I performed all right in these conditions. I'm not like downplaying how well I did, but um, thinking about it, like simulate the conditions of the race. And I, and I would have went back and I would have picked even like an open, like we have soccer fields by my house or parks that aren't touched. Mm -hmm. It's just big one to two feet of snow. Why was I not doing quarter mile repeats, which sounds so ridiculous in a foot of snow? It sounds ridiculous, but I bet you I would have performed better on that instead of going to clean terrain and doing quarter mile repeats. Yeah. And even if you just did half of the intervals, if you went like firm, firm, sloppy, firm, sloppy, firm, firm, sloppy, mm -hmm. alternating at a third of the intervals, that's a game changer because then that changes from I get through the slop to I use the slop. Yes, exactly. It's just, it's just, you feel foolish in hindsight because we, we're doing a lot of things right. We're doing 19 out of 20 things right, but there's always something to improve upon. And this was the glaring thing. And so I think the question that we can go back to where you were pivoting this a while back was like, where do you start? Right. And yep. I say like, if, if this is really new to you, like it's, it's okay to do recovery efforts in the crappy terrain. Like that's a decent place to start. Just get your bearings, get your footing, understand what it's going to feel like if you really have been like a treadmill and roadrunner. But I will say when it comes down to it, as you had mentioned, Bracken, it comes down to the quality work where the heart rate is up and you're actually starting to build some fatigue. So, um, well, how would you, uh, you touched on it, but let's just dive like a little more thoroughly into it. Like how would you translate traditional workouts? Well, you translate them, I think to time first and then from time to the terrain you want, or maybe you choose the terrain first, but let's say for me, for example, I wanted to run in slippery and sometimes semi deep snow. And so I couldn't go and do quarter mile repeats. I did 70 second repeats because a quarter mile might take me two minutes or two and a half minutes to get through. And then at the effort I want to keep, I'm blowing out my system way too early. Mm -hmm. So identifying the duration that you're going to keep if it were flat and then doing that. So for example, I did my OCR 200s, my OCR 400s. They weren't 200 meters long always. They sometimes were 200 and 400. Other times they were 35 seconds and 70 seconds long, depending on what the terrain was. So you simply translate the workout over and then you do it. And the per the workout has to be done with a ton of purpose because you watch people in these terrains run. And some people look like, like Ryan Atkins, for example, looks like he's running on normal terrain. Mm -hmm. And other people look like they're picking their way through it with this kind of lope, not even loping, like this cautious stride, like you're like you're running through a living room barefoot with Legos on the ground. That's kind of how mm -hmm. people look where they're placing their feet on the ground 
rather than driving their feet into the ground because they're unsure at any point if something under their feet is going to damage them. You know who nailed that this last weekend? Because um, I had an eye, basically, I know like Logan Broadbent and Mark Gaudet talk about like working together for a bit of the race and they did. And I was the guy right behind them. Yeah. And watching Logan go through that stuff would be the epitome of how you would want to look. If you can go back and look at that, it was it was power on both ends of his stride. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And so you have to go into your sloppy terrain workouts with that feeling and imagery in mind. When I did my first round of my speed work on the trails, my cadence was eight steps per minute lower than what I finished up at at the end of my block. Interesting. Because I was running through the snow at effort rather than trying to keep a turnover, a cadence, a form, and a purpose to my stride. And it, that's that's your progression through anything. At first, you're just trying to do it. Mm -hmm. And then you try to do it better. But going in with the idea that I'm going to run perfectly, I'm going to keep my cadence and my drive up, and I'll get faster and more efficient over time doing it. Because it burns at the beginning trying to keep a cadence and a stride going. But keeping that in mind with every single rep is really important to getting the most out of this type of workout. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so we talked about translating distance to time. Definitely yeah. the best way to go because a quarter mile repeat on clean train will take significantly less time than like a quarter mile repeat on crap. Um, you know, it's so glaringly obvious, but I just think it needs to be, you need to be reminded as I need to always be reminded of the little things or the, the obvious things too. But like, think about, you know, we all have some course intel at this point about what, what the terrain will be like at this point. A lot of the venues have been reused or you can go ask fellow competitors, for example, if I'm going, I think I'm going to Vegas here in a few weeks, right? Have you, and you've raced the Vegas course, I believe. Not the new one. I raced the old Vegas course. Okay. Well, there's sand running. It's like a bit of it will be like what I would expect in Abu Dhabi. A bit of it would be like my snowmobile trail running. It's not deep, but you're put, you, lose, you lose a percentage of your power in every single push off. So finding the snowmobile trails before Vegas would be significantly more effective than using them before Jacksonville. If you, I mean... I just think simulating the race terrain in your training as often as possible is exactly the prescription. If you're going to race in Tahoe and it's hard packed dirt trails, then you want to become the most efficient at running hard packed dirt trails. Like it, it really is like so dumb and so obvious, but it's so true. And so like, think about what the course demands are going to be. And it's easy for us to go like I did to a, a public park and run on the snowmobile trails because those are the trails provided for us. And you all know your local parks where you go trail running and you stay on the single track or you do whatever because that's what you have. But like right next to the single track is a bunch of garbage running that you could be doing anyway. So it's just like those little tweaks I think could go really long ways. And so starting to think about race terrain way ahead of time and then simulating that, not just using what you know is convenient and is already there for you because that's what I was really doing and it got me halfway there, but not all the way. Yeah. So well, let's take one of your staple workouts, that four by four by four. Yeah. Is that, is that it or is it three by four by four? Well, you could do either, but four by four by 400 meters. Yeah. Okay. So four by 400 meters, and then you get some more recovery and you do that three times. If you were prepping for four Vegas. Times. Yeah. Three more so times. So 16, oh, 16 reps, right? 16 reps. Four sets of Broken up into sets of four. If you were prepping for Vegas, you could do one round of four on your snowmobile, tra snowmobile trail, one round of four off the snowmobile trail. Mm-hmm. And then repeat that. So you're still getting your workout in, but you're also making it pretty race specific where not the whole time is going to be in that nastiness, but I can translate to and from the nastiness and you get to hit it at different stages of fatigue throughout the workout. That'd be a really simple way of translating one workout to race specific for Vegas. Yeah, exactly. Although our snow is about gone here. So that's going to have to go back to the drawing board there, but. But what does snow leave behind? It leaves behind mud. mud. Yeah, but I can yeah. think that this, uh, this pond that I talk about um, that I want to go run around. It's a groomed sandy beach around this pond that's used in the summer for like kids swimming. And I could go do laps around a 400 meter pond in the sand. No problem. Now you also have to look at the big picture. Like is Vegas the end all be all race of my season? Like not, not even close. So maybe bigger picture. I avoid that because of other reasons or later races, but like just start getting your wheels turning. I don't know. We're, we're yeah. such creatures of habit, aren't we? And we're so freaking married to metrics and pacing and splits and I, I'm going to go back to the track for my 400 meter repeats because I know if I do them on the trails, they'll be slower and that's going to bump my ego. 
people deal with that all the time and they don't talk about it. And a lot of them smugly go yeah. through like their training, knowing that it's probably not the best translator, but that their ego still needs to be brushed. So they go to the perfect conditions to do so. You brought up two great points. The first is that later in the season, I might need a different skill set. And I think that that's fine because if you're doing the same workouts just on different terrain, your cardiovascular system gets worked the same. You're just changing the skill set up. So even if you went from downhill 4x4x4 to sloppy 4x4x4 to uphill 4x4x4, you're still getting the same cardiovascular benefit. You're just tweaking it to the demands of your course. So I don't think people have to worry too much about that as long as they're doing the correct workout progression. Like you can go through a threshold block and then a 5K block and a sharpening block, just changing your terrain. Do you know how, okay, so... That's a great, it's exact. it's a great point. So let's say we we're working hard, we're working all the engine components and we're doing, we're doing in general, we're all training hard. So we're trying to improve our fitness, whether you're doing it on the perfectly race specific terrain or not is irrelevant, right? We're building our underlying fitness. Now, what does it take for our body to neurologically and physiologically adapt to like exercise or a workout biomechanically adapt, which means like my body's just learning to fire efficiently in this movement it takes like nine to 10 days right? So even in that amount of time, like you can, you can be working baseline fitness and doing all the right things, but like your body's going to respond pretty quick to like efficiency of movement, right? So just those like hitting all aspects of training, even if it's not perfect and then dialing in, even when it comes a little closer, like I wouldn't suggest waiting till nine to 10 days out to hit your first workout, but like you can see pretty quick adaptation is what I'm getting at based off your, like your baseline workouts. I did eight and a half weeks of this, and by week three and four, I felt like I had really changed. Yep. And then the rest of the four was micro changes. I got most of my benefit in the first three to four weeks. Exactly. Another thing you can do with this before I get into responding to point two that you made 10 minutes ago (laughs) is, is you can stay sharp by using it as skill work throughout your block. One of the classic things people do is they'll do like a 20 or 40 minute tempo and finish with a couple hard strides or 150s or 200s. Well, do that, but make the 150s or 200s on slop. Mm. And now throughout the year, your strides or your accelerations are done on race specific terrain. So you have some semblance of biomechanical efficiency there. And then you translate it to actual conditioning work as you get three or four weeks out from a race. So there are little things like that you can do, little finishers or even openers to a workout. Well, and and I don't wanna discredit like, when we say like biomechanical efficiency, like your body does need to recognize like fast turnover, fast pacing. So it can take advantage of the flat, clean terrain when we get it. So I'm not saying like, oh, don't go to the track ever to work your, your turnover and your biomechanical efficiency at fast pacing, but, if that's the majority of what you're doing, it doesn't take much to to work that end. It just needs to be sprinkled in. It's really our underlying like chassis and horsepower that's really gonna win us races. It's not it's not our like greyhound speed. Yeah. So so then the second thing you said about a lot of people will avoid this because they don't know their metrics and it doesn't look as sexy as their road or the trail or their track metrics. Like why run six minute pace? Nauseous when you can run five minute pace nauseous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same kind of concept of why some people train in their super shoes and some people refuse to. Mm-hmm. And I think that, not I think, I know, I experienced over these last eight weeks that it was fun to establish metrics on sloppy terrain and then watch yourself improve. Because if I had started that block of training only doing treadmill work, there's only so much faster I'm going to get because I've worked it for years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I may not, if I go off road, I won't hit those sexy metrics I used to hit, but I had a massive increase in my ability to run through the slop over the course of four weeks and then six weeks and then eight, an increase I never would have got on the track. Mm-hmm. My ceiling for improvement was much higher off road because there was a skill component and an efficiency component that I'd never really accessed. And that became really fun to write down in my training log, to just watch these numbers drop and drop and drop. And while you can't post it on Strava and look awesome, you can look at it yourself and kind of get fired up for the next week of training scene. I'm dropping seconds per 400 every single week. 
that doesn't happen on the track. Well, the tough part about that is for people's like mindset is like it's sloppy and bad train is subjective and it also changes from week to week. So you don't have like, like we talk about doing workouts that are repeatable and then you can gauge your progress. Like I'm going to do a 400 meter progression and I'm going to see my objective results on the track. But when you go into nasty terrain or different terrain to do these workouts and conditions change, it's not apples to apples, it's apples to oranges. And people don't get excited about that because, oh, I was slower today, but I know my fitness is better and the conditions were worse. So I'm going to go and know I'm going to take that ego hit because conditions change. So like it's, there's, there's a lot of reasons to avoid it. And somebody that, you know, as an athlete who studies their competition, I know you probably do as well. You want to go look at, let's say, um, I would say the most unassuming Strava account of the top end athletes is Ryan Kempson. You know exactly where I'm going to probably go with this. Ryan Kempson's out there running like 940 pace for like a run. And you're wondering like, what are you doing, Ryan? I've never seen any run of his faster than like seven minute pace ever, ever, ever. I, Ryan, if you're listening, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like Ryan's just dicking around in the woods constantly on his Strava. You would never know what he's doing, which is probably part of his, you know, he keeps it that way. But it also tells me like, I don't know. And and Ryan, tell me if I'm wrong again. Like, have you ever done a track workout in the last two years? Have you ever been on the roads in the last two years when you've done quality work? And who's an animal? And who moved through the terrain? It's just like very interesting. And and so I think like we, we're circling around what we need to be doing in our training, but we're not like hitting the bullseye, right? And I think there's very few people who are. And so, and that all comes back to broken running. It's coming back to broken running. It is. And, and I chatted with him after Jacksonville, not Jacksonville, Miami, maybe like three years ago. And he beat me and he was faster than me. And I had done a thousand meter progression where I had really worked on 800s and thousands and 1200s. And I got up to the point where I went like 12 or 14 by thousand at like 315 or under with 60 seconds rest. Good work on. Which is pretty quick running for a high volume. And... We hit our first little patch of water, our first couple walls, and I was suddenly reduced to a stride that I hadn't run one step of during that 14 by 1,000. Mm -hmm. I hadn't spent one stride doing anything other than efficiently flicking forward. Mm -hmm. You know, just that track cadence. Whereas every stride he had put in on his twisty, nasty, technical East Coast trails in the winter and spring had been driving forward through fatigue. And so, like, it, it, it reminded me of uh, the movie 300. I love this comparison. Now, the movie 300, it almost is unfortunate that Spartan Race was named Spartan Race <laughs> because the two became synonymous with each other and it became really cliche. But I love going back to the scene where King Leonidas is leading his small band of 300 to the hot gates to defend these tens of thousands of Persians. And this other band uh, this army joins up with them and the, their leader says this is all you brought i'm really like uh, i had hoped your commitment would match our own and he goes through asking the other armies like what is your profession he's like i'm a farmer and he said i'm a potter i'm a blacksmith and then he turns to him and he says see i brought more soldiers than you did mm -hmm. and that perfectly summed it up like i came in here with all these thousands i'd run i'd run I looked at Kempton, I thought, wow, you didn't bring much of an army with you. But he brought more soldiers to the battle than I did. Mine weren't prepared for slop. They weren't prepared for the actual fight that was going to happen. And every single piece of fitness he brought with was specifically designed to race. And it was a comeuppance. He beat me badly. And it was a, it's a memory that I flash back to a lot, looking at his Strava beforehand, thinking, I am so much more fit than him. And then watching him run away from me in the race, thinking I greatly underestimated what my fitness was compared to his. I might be your best analogy at Bracken. Yeah. I really like that one. Oh, thank you, Kirk. Yeah. You're, you're welcome. You're blushing over there. Oh, I'm just all aglow. You went from you went from white to a light pink. Mm. <laughs> what else? Uh, what else? Okay, I, we got our point across. I, I would say it, I don't know how coherent the thoughts are that we put together today, but it was really like one slap in the face point we wanted to make, and I think we've made that. What are we missing here? Anything that comes to mind? No, I think I think the last piece to go over is the piece that you forget about, which is that everything you do in your life, you have little tips and tricks and strategies and confidence and a mindset change that comes with it. You know, every time you start something new, I think about I'm back to typing class. I was a hunt and pecker. 
mm-hmm. when I, with typing, you know, two finger picking the whole time. And then I took a typing class in high school and it was so embarrassing and awkward. I had no, no skill set, no tricks, no shortcuts, no efficiency, but I put my time in grinding. And then one day you realize like, oh, my fingers are flying. My wrists aren't sore anymore. And I'm, I discovered my fingers work better using this keystroke rather than trying to stretch with this hand. You develop all these little things and then you're good at typing. Mm-hmm. That's how we are with everything we do in our life. You develop your shortcuts and your efficiency and your, your, your way you respond to, to mistakes. That happens with this as well. When you get to a race and you hit a type of terrain and you're slipping and you don't have a response to it, or you you hit a terrain and you keep having the same thing trip you up, or every time you trip, you're like totally lost. If you go through that in training a bunch, not only do you just become better and more efficient at it, you develop your little tips and tricks and hacks for getting through it. If you watch the top guys, they all have a different way of attacking the slop, but they have a way of doing it. Whereas Mm -hmm. yours might just be surviving it. You haven't even unlocked the ability to play around with it yet, but you get that point. It's not just about fitness and just about efficiency. You actually can respond to things better that you can't even do anything other than fall for right now. But things that used to make you tired will eventually gain you time. And so there's that whole efficiency of just experience. And if you experience it on race day for the first time, you can't go into it with confidence. You can't attack something that you've never experienced before. Yeah. And I would say making this relatable to what we just experienced, you know, we're coming off of one of the more sloppy races that we've had. And, Mm -hmm. and so it's really, it's putting, you know, the microscope on this skill. Not all courses are going to be this way, but there's going to be a handful throughout the year, like the West Virginia's, the Carolina's, some of the courses out East, where this is all still very applicable. Right. So I figure we just, we just hash it out now and then you can stew on it before your next sloppy race. So yeah, go back and watch the live stream that Spartan put out and watch everyone enter the slop before the bucket. The top three or four people run differently into that slop than the people after them. Josiah in particular, he did this gallop hop into it and then went under the fence and you looked at it and you realized This guy's done this before. Mm -hmm. He knew how to enter a puddle and get down underneath something. Somewhere in his Xterra or trail background, he's done this before. And he was the most efficient between he, VJ, and Kempson going through that, which isn't something you would imagine. Well, what's interesting is, you know, Josiah's like 42 years old or 43, 42. Um, He probably in the field has the most years of running on shitty terrain out of absolutely anybody with his Xterra background. And so when you really think about it, you go, duh. No wonder he was a monster in the shitty terrain. Like, yeah. what has he been training and racing on for, what, almost two decades? Two decades? Yeah. Incredible. And then watch them as they hit the, the pond. There's a difference between the people who entered the water and those who had a technique that they know gets them through waist-deep water. Yeah. He had a technique, and that, I think, was the most impressive part of his race was the power he put out for probably two-thirds of that water. He was hopping and skipping for two thirds of the pond before he finally had to settle into more of like wading and jogging through. Mm -hmm. And that just shows someone that spent time running through water. He knew coming in, he didn't enter the water and then play around with three different strides to figure out what's my combination of fastest with least amount of effort. He just went into what he knows already. Mm -hmm. And there is some power to that. There is. And I would just say as a, as a last thought, like think about if you did race in Jacksonville, how, how close did you actually get to training on the terrain that we raced in? And I'm going to say 99% of you are going to say, including myself, say not very close at all. And if that is your answer, then you left time and probably placement on the table that you could have negated by simply setting your ego aside and running on slower, crappy terrain if you could find it. And so I think that's just a an extension of lessons learned this past week. Yeah. We've gone on long enough. This is almost an hour. This will be an hour long episode of just talking about broken running. Yep. Solely about sloppy broken running. Yeah. And that'll tell you how important this is. It's a game. It's a make or break in a race, whether you can translate your running form to multiple terrains or not. Mm-hmm. And the last point then, and then we'll, we'll close this out is that like running in that stuff, that junk training in it always translates well to clean terrain. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't work the other way. It's like, does flat running translate to hill running? No, 
But does hill running translate to flat running? Absolutely. It's all Nicole Miracle does is still hill interval work. She just made a post about it. Does, does clean running translate to sloppy running? No. But does sloppy running translate to clean running? Absolutely. So like, there's your answer. It's crazy. Last little, little story here, Kirk. I talked about how two years ago I did a ultra block and ran my post-collegiate mile PR mm -hmm. coming off of that without doing any speed. Well, one you don't know about me is after I ran my very first Spartan race, I put in an entire block of training before my next one did nothing but compromised runs or recovery runs. That was it. All my quality was compromised and it was all off-road. And I got done with that and I went and I ran at Whitewater at our alumni meet and I ran the 800 and I opened up 157.1. And how close to touching that pace did you get in training? I didn't run faster than 520 pace in training. However, my senior year of college, I opened up 156.9. That's crazy. Same track, same distance, two tenths slower for maybe, I mean, a couple of years later, doing nothing under 520 pace. All of it was slop training or compromised running. And I opened up two tenths slower in an 800 than when I was running college track. And out of the, and out of the whole atmosphere of college and all. Everything. I hadn't worn spikes. I hadn't been in a race. I hadn't run a turn. And so again, it just reiterates the fact that if you did nothing but 800 meter running, which I did, I went to my first Spartan race and could not run the terrain. I did nothing but Spartan running and I came back and I ran within two tenths of my opener from when I was a fifth year senior in college. It's just bizarre the way that works, but it should be reassuring to people that you're not giving away fitness. You're gaining all around fitness. Leave it at that. We've said our piece, brother. Thank you.